You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast. To learn more about the Collective Church in Portland, Oregon, and Vancouver, Washington, visit us online at thecollectivechurch.com. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Ezra. Ezra. It's in the Old Testament. We don't hear Ezra a lot, do we? Not a lot of Ezra. But Ezra is a really important book, and I want to jump right into this because this is the book that starts to document when the children of Israel uh, start coming home from captivity. And while we were in Mexico sunning ourselves, um, hallelujah, it was wonderful. I started, I started reading the book of Ezra, and I started seeing parallels to 2022 and what's going on. So I want to... I wanna, I have a whiteboard out here. I'm going to attempt to teach some things this morning. Um, Who knows how that will go. By the end of the service, it may still look like this, just (laughs) FYI. Um, But I I want to attempt to to teach some things here. Um, How many have a real strong um, understanding of like the narrative of the Bible, like Genesis through Revelations? How many would just say, or... I, I could learn more. <laughs> yeah, I could learn more. Um, it's, and it's just not um, happenstance or circumstance why the things, you know, why these stories, why these accounts, genealogies, all these things ended up in the scripture. It's for purpose and it's for a reason. It's written um, for us to grow, not just in knowledge, but in, in application, to apply what we learn to our lives. Amen? Let's pray. I want to pray. I want to just invite the Holy Spirit here in a special way. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the miracles um, that Katie talked about, that we sang about this morning. Thank you that you're a miracle-working God. Thank you that you're a miracle-working God, that you've never lost the battle. Lord, even when it seems like you, you're like, man, it seems like there's been some battles that have been lost, but he's never lost a battle. He's never lost a battle. You've never lost a battle, Lord. And we thank you that, like Heather said, we can tuck ourselves under the shadow of the Most High, under your wing, Lord, and we can tuck ourselves under there. And we can find rest, and we can find strength, and we can find um, everything that we need to do what you've called us to do, Lord. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody shout it out. I just, I just heard, as during our greeting time, I just heard a story, and I'm not going to make them say it today, but at some point I'm going to make them say it, where Jesus literally saved someone's life. Their, their life was in danger, and not by happenstance or circumstance, but by the miracle-working power of God, he saved their life. That's what God does. That's what God does. And you know what's cool is sometimes he'll have us be a part of it as well. I know there's been times when, there was a time when I was in high school and middle of the night, I didn't really under, fully understand what like intercession was. I, I knew that there was an intercession that would, would um, like a travail, actually more of a travail that would just grab you. And it's almost like, it wasn't like you had a choice of whether or not to pray. How many know what that's like? Like you've woken up in the middle of the night and somebody's on, you're not just thinking about them, but it's like there's a travail that comes out of your spirit for them. I was, I was in high school and 
this happened, the guy's name was John, and, and I started to travail for him. I had a dream that he had crashed his car and that, um, that it was bad. And so I started to travail for him. And just in the next morning, I told my mom, I said, Mom, I had a dream about, about John you know, crashing his car, and I just was interceding for him last night. And so uh, my, my mom calls his mom. Says, you know, Jenny, what's going on? And, and Jenny said, last night John was in a terrible car accident, and he he should have died. You know, and and it's like, and it's not because not because of my prayers that it was because of the hand of God that saved him, but but God has us partner, and prayer is powerful, and it's 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 amazing, you know. And um, so a lot of times when you hear those kind of stories, uh, this isn't part of my message, by the way. This is the the uh, preview. Um, is you want to partner with what you're feeling in your spirit. You really do. I remember I was driving home. I've got a lot of these stories, actually. I was driving home. I was in the Yukon. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I was driving a... I was trying to get back to see see the family. Ashton actually had just like started taking his first steps, and I missed him. Because I was on this dumb road trip. with, And I was like... It was one of those ones where it was like this... Just a dumb trip. You know, a guy was like, hey, come drive back you know, from college with me from Chicago to Alaska. Well, yeah, that sounds fun. It wasn't fun. Um, we were driving in a 1980, 85 CJ, you know, jacked up Jeep and, you know, drove like a roller skate. And um, it was horrible. It's terrible. About two o'clock in the morning, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm wanting to get home to my baby. I'm wanting to see this little guy walk. And, and um, so I'm, I'm pushing it through the night and I come around a corner and we hit a moose hit a moose and it just totals the car. You know, my poor friend was sleeping at the time and I woke, he woke up to me screaming, I killed him, I killed him. You know, it's like, oh my. Um, It's happened twice in my life, but but, um, I I ran over my dog when I was 16. Yeah, I was, I, I killed the family dog. That's another story. And I ran in saying I killed her, I killed her. But but my, my parents, I, you know, we, we got a hold of my parents and, and uh, we said, what, um, my mom said, what time did you hit the moose? And I said, you know, I told her what time it was and she goes, that's crazy. She said, your dad and I sat up in bed and we're interceding for you and Eric. We sat up in bed and we were interceding. So, so word, word to the wise, when you feel that travail, go with it. <laughs> go with it. Go with it. Amen. Amen. Okay, so in the biblical narrative, we have creation. We're going to kind of go through this here. We have creation. Um, what, what, what happens as you, start to see this, as you start to see the narrative of the Bible, you see that, uh, so we've got the creation. We go into the flood. This is very high level here. Um, there's a, there's, there's a judgment against man because God's like, I'm kind of sorry I even made this bunch of people. And Noah found favor in the sight of God. Noah and his family, they were saved in the flood. Now, after that comes the story of the patriarchs, right? There's, there's Abraham, um, Isaac, Jacob. Okay, so then we see the biblical narrative of now God is blessing. So after the flood, you know, there's a lot. Obviously, we're not going to get every 
piece of the Bible here. But after the flood, um, there's, there's a redemption. God, God starts to redeem his people. And he starts to bless, and he makes a covenant with Abraham and, and the family of Abraham, which we are still beneficiaries of today. And so Abraham begets Isaac. Isaac begets Jacob. Jacob um, has um, Joseph. And um, Joseph ends up Joseph ends up um, in Egypt. Okay, so so now God's using. There's essentially there's there's almost salvation of a nation through Joseph. Joseph interprets Potiphar's dream, right? And um, not Potiphar's dream, excuse me, Pharaoh's dream. And um, uses, you know, seven, the seven years of abundance and they stockpile. Essentially saving the then known world, the then known region through, through it because they, they stockpiled so much that the, the Hebrew people, the family of Abraham, who's now the nation of Israel, now they come to Egypt. Egypt, Pharaoh, because, because of Joseph, because Joseph was like a, a type of Jesus who went before Right, and so, so the uh, the family, the Hebrew family, the, the the children of Israel, they come to Egypt, and they're saved because there's enough food. Pharaoh ends up giving them land for for their cattle. Um, he ends up giving them, you know, for all their livestock. God blesses them; they multiply. Then generations go go by, and. Something happens to where, it's about 400 years go by, something happens to where Egypt forgets the covenant that's made with, with Joseph and with the family of Abraham, right? Now, now the children of Israel, and by the way, this is the anti-Semitic theme that's even, that happens, like that's happening right now, the anti-Semitic things that are happening around the world. This is, by the way, a theme that just runs all throughout human history, so we shouldn't like never, never be surprised when it's like, what? Satan's trying to kill God's chosen people? That's crazy. No, this always, and it's always a pattern. There's nothing new under the sun. So this anti-Semitic, anti-Christ spirit, because it's, it's always wanted to snuff out Jesus. It always wanted to kill Jesus. That's why all the babies two and under were killed. When Jesus was born, they went back and they said, when was he born? And they, they killed before, before uh, Mary and Joseph had fled to Egypt. So Joseph, Egypt, so now they're, uh, now they're in captivity. Okay? So they're in captivity. And then we see, you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. They're, 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 it's what we call the exodus, Right? Now there's an exodus. So there's, I, I, just want you to, I just want you to start seeing the narrative of scripture. There's like, you know, sin and disobedience. And there's a mixture of things that God says not to mix with. And so there's, there's, there's judgment that comes, right? So the judgment of the flood. And then God blesses. And then they, they live and they say, Lord, we are consecrated unto you. We want to live and we want to, you know, they made the, God made the covenant with Abraham. Okay, and then it goes, then they, they go back into captivity. Now they're back into captivity. Now they're free. Now there's a, a, a massive exodus. They spend 40 years in the wilderness. Then they come into what? They come into the promised land, right? 
Okay, promised land. And they're in the promised land, and they're conquering, and they're taking cities, and they're taking land, and they're taking their inheritance, and it's awesome, right? So what, what is God, who does God raise up at that time? Judges. So now we go into the season of the judges. And the judges last for about 425 years. And th- by the way, this was God's plan. Like, like uh, Samson was a judge. Uh, this is where we hear the story of Deborah. Deborah was a judge. Othniel. Um, who, else, who else were judges? Gideon, Samson. So now we're in, we're, we're in this, uh, this period of the judges. And, and during this whole period, it's actually kind of funny to read through it. It's actually not funny. It's actually tragic. Um, but you read through Judges, and in this 425-year period, um, they turn to God, and everything starts going amazing. And then what happens? They forget. <laughs> they forget. And then another generation rises up that forgets the things of God and starts to intermarry. And by the way, this isn't speaking against interracial marriages, by the way. Like, this is speaking against what, what, what this is saying. When it talks about intermarrying in the Bible, it's talking about taking on customs that were not biblical customs, customs that God did not, like idolatry through marriage. It's like the the husband would start to serve the idols of his spouse, okay? That's when we're talking about uh, intermarriage. There's been, and the reason I say that is because there's like fringe, there's been denominations and movements that have said uh, interracial marriages are, are not of God for that reason, so... That's not what it's saying, just so you know. So when we talk about intermarrying, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking on customs and practices, basically being in the world and of the world. So, hey, we came into idol worship, so we came into, you know, sexual perversion, so, okay, we're just going to go with it. We're just going to start doing what my wife's family does, or we're going to start doing what my husband's family does. And so what you see is you see this massive, it's like the book of Judges is like this. It's like God saves, there's blessing, it's amazing. They forget what happens. And it's not even almost like God judges them as much as they step out from the umbrella of God's protection. And like, like it's because it's we live in the world and the enemy has access. You know, he's, he, he, this is before the cross, right? And so it's like they stepped out from under the covenant and, and then gnarly things happen. I mean, the book of Judges is like R-rated to the max. It's amazing. There's one. There's one where it's like this. This guy, he Othniel. He he. I think he stabs the Eglon. Eglon. Eglon stabs him right, and it says his dagger. Like he was so large that he lost his dagger inside of his stomach. That's awesome, right? (laughs) How cool is that? I I love the detail there. Um, so then what happens is after the period of the judges, are, are you okay with me doing this? Is this, I know this is taking a while here. I don't usually teach like this, but um, after the period of the judges, what happens is Israel says, we want a king. And God's like, no, you don't. <laughs> God, he's like, no, you, you don't want a king. Actually, I, I, I've set up a way for you. And it's called the judges. And, and, and they're like, no, we want a king. And so he says, Okay. And so, around the end of the period of the judges, Samuel is born, Samuel the prophet. And so, this is when God tells Samuel to go anoint king, and he finds, he finds um, King Saul, right? 
And so Saul, well, it's not King Saul at first, but he's Saul. And Saul becomes the first king of Israel. So now we go into the period of the kings. Okay. The period, the, the, the era, the age of the kings. Starting off with Saul and then going to David. Now shortly after David, King David, what happened? There was a split. Right? How many remember that? So actually, the, the, the kings went into what we call Judah in the south, and Israel was in the north. So the, the, the age of the kings happens in, in Israel and Judah. This, now, the same narrative starts happening, um, a similar narrative starts happening as judges. This is a very up and down period. This is very much... The high highs, they would repent, they would turn to Jesus, they would burn their idols, they would kill the pagan, uh, the, the, the pagan priests, they would, God would say, here, here's what I want you to do, and they would start to live in, in, in holiness and righteousness and, and, and obedience to the Lord, and God would greatly bless them, and they would take land, and they would take territory, and then what would happen? The next king, king would come in and literally forget like for the next generation would come in and say, and because of pride, because of the will, their will, because of uh, maybe that they were never discipled in, in the ways of the Lord, you know, they would go right back into, into pagan, uh, pagan living and, you know, idolatry and all of the things, okay? So what happens here is Assyria... In like 593 BC, Assyria comes in and, and captures Israel, overthrows Israel, captures Israel, and takes people away into captivity. And uh, you heard, actually in the New Testament, what we read about was Assyrian, last week when Pastor Dusty preached, is when Assyrian influence had over the people. It was awful. Remember, Pastor Dusty talked about the sexual practices, the, the wickedness, how evil Assyria was. So, so Israel gets captured by Assyria, and the one that we hear about most is Judah gets captured by Babylon. Babylon captures Judah. Now, they're both in captivity for 70 years. 70 years of captivity. Now, this is the time where we see Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. This is where we read about Daniel. This, a lot of actually the prophets are, when we read the prophetic books like Jeremiah, are, are written during this time of exile. So like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Man, tattoo that on your face. Like, that's so good, right? So, you know, put it all over your home. Like that, that was when they were in captivity in Judah. So you have to see the context of that. It helps when you're reading those uh, the major prophets, to understand that they were in 70 years of captivity. What happens then is, well, let me just, let me just give you a quick, so, so the captivity, the kings going to captivity again. Are you seeing a pattern? This is like, by the way, like why Jesus came for the new covenant so that we wouldn't have to live this roller coaster existence by the way. Because <laughs> it was, I mean, the, the Old Testament is just a roller coaster of an existence. So after, after captivity, they come home, they rebuild the temple. Actually, Ezra and Nehemiah 
are, and, and the way you can learn this, I learned this when I was a kid, is knee high, because at one point the wall was knee high. So Nehemiah is about building the wall. So Nehemiah is, 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 is the rebuilding of the wall, rebuilding the city walls, okay, and the rebuilding of the temple. So, and I'm going to talk more about this. And then what happens is what? There's 400 years of what? Silence. It's called the silent period where God is not recorded as speaking. And then he breaks through the silence with the story of John the Baptist. Okay, so that's, does that kind of give you a good little narrative there? So captivity, so the silent period, that's what it's called. This is running out. And then, and then comes Jesus, essentially, onto the scene. That's 400 years later. Okay, so... What, here's what I want to talk about. You're like, where are you going with this? Is this just, is this just whiteboard fun? Uh, no. So when they come, so what happens is, is Persia, the king of Persia, whose name was Cyrus, in about 593 BC, little under, you know, probably 60 some years into um, the captivity in Babylon. Again, we saw, I mean, the lion's den, the lion's den, like all this stuff, right? That's, again, happening during this time. Well, Babylon, who is the, thank you, Brittany, who is who's the big kid on the block at that point, um, gets thrown, thrown, overthrown by a, a bigger kid on the block, which is Persia. So Cyrus of Persia comes in, and they capture and defeat Babylon. Okay, so now, so Cyrus is the one that actually let the people go back um, to start rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls and rebuilding their cities. So here's what I want to do. The, the first part of Ezra talks about them leaving. And here's why I say this, because I think right now that there's a lot of people in the United States of America on planet Earth that are in captivity. I think there's a lot of people that are in captivity. I think there's a lot of people that... Um, have turned away from God, have turned to fear, have turned to idolatry, have turned to their will, have turned to pride, have turned to what, whatever it is that they've turned to, much like the narrative of the scripture, and we, we've been in a captivity. Now, you might be saved, you might be going to heaven, but you can still be bound up. I mean, this last weekend in, in Phoenix, Arizona, we were you know, ministering to a lot of women who were Christians, who were believers, but the enemy had been trespassing on, on their life. And so we evicted demonic forces. We evicted uh, oppression. We evicted heaviness, right? So we can still live in captivity. We can still be in captivity, you know, in our spirit. Now, ultimately, we're free. It, it, a lot of times it looks like this. It looks like somebody who is living in a prison cell, who is sleeping every night in a jail cell, and the door is open. But they're willingly sleeping in, because, in a cell because they've come into agreement with a lie. Or they've, they've come into some sort of, um, you know, there's been a demonic activity. Um, there's been trauma. So we choose to go back and sleep in that cell. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're going to read Ezra now. And I wrote down nine things that I saw just in the first part of Ezra that I thought, huh, God, I wonder if some of the same patterns of you releasing the captives in Babylon still apply to us today. And the answer is yes. The answer is yes, they do. 
And, you know, I, I even look at where we've been for the last two and a half years with the narrative that's been happening in our country, the fear that's been happening in our country, the, the uh, people bound up by fear. I mean, what I'm talking about. Like, yesterday, and by the way, people are, are, are trying to keep that going, and they're trying to keep people bound in fear. You know, we, before we flew this last week, we saw this article. It's like, the majority of Americans are unhappy with masks being off planes. You know, I was like, uh, you should come to the airport and look. Because they're not. They're, see, everyone's really happy. We're like smiling and high-fiving, and like the plane had like no masks. And, and, um, but, but the enemy's trying to keep people in captivity. And so, so here, so we're going to start in Ezra. This is so cool. And it's so cool, n- number one, the first point I want to show you is God can stir the hearts of non-believing leaders. <laughs> I'm, I'm just telling you, we get really caught up in who's in the White House. We get really caught up who's in Salem. We get really caught up with those things. I'm just telling you, God can use an ass. God can use a donkey. I tell you, he spoke through Balaam. Hey, I didn't cuss. That's King James for donkey. Religious cows, you can leave now. All you religious bovine, out of here. Listen, God can use anyone. And here's what happened. Here's what happened. Because these were God's people. These were God's people. This was God's chosen people. And so he started to hurt, turn the heart of King Cyrus. He started to turn his heart. Can I say this? Can I say that we should spend more time praying for those that are in charge than criticizing those who are in charge? I know it's really difficult right now. It's really difficult right now because we just want to throw our hands up and say, what in the world? But I'm just telling you, God can use people that we have, like, God can use people to rescue a whole nation. God can use people to rescue, like, to see people set free that, like, we would have never chosen or we would have never imagined. We were like, God's going to use someone really righteous and really holy. And do I believe we should vote and vote righteous people into office? Yes, yes, yes. Proverbs talks about that when the righteous are in charge, there's actually an environmental shift. There's an atmospheric shift in the hearts of people. Yes, yes, yes. But here's what I'm saying. We cannot give up hope when unrighteous are in charge. Because when they're at their worst, God stirred the hearts of Cyrus. He stirred the heart of Cyrus. And it says this, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred, so there had been a prophetic word. Jeremiah had prophesied, remember, during this time that Judah was in Babylon, Jeremiah had prophesied that they they were going to be released and were going to go home and reestablish, and God was going to reestablish the nation, and that Jesus was going to come through and was going to really, um, well, they didn't know it then, but he was going to change everything. The Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. So check this out. So all of a sudden, 70 years of captivity... Imagine being in your 60s and that's all you've known. Like kids growing up in this captivity, kids growing up in this, in this environment where if you 
I mean, we saw with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego what happened. They were thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to obey the customs and cultures of the land. So this is the environment. We haven't seen persecution yet, by the way. Like, the level of our persecution is someone didn't like my post or they unfollowed me. Which, it hurts. It stings a little bit. They said something, you know. But we're talking severe persecution. So they've grown up in this. And so what happens is King Cyrus of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Talk about a revelation. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as a voluntary offer, offering for the temple of God. So number one, God can stir the hearts of non-believing leaders. Number two, God stirred the hearts of the people to go home. And I think that's what's happening right now. I think that's what her voice is doing. There's a stirring in the hearts of people saying, we don't want to be captive anymore. We don't want to be captive to drugs, to alcohol, to, to anything, to sex, to anything that is stealing from our destinies. Like we want to be free. We no longer want to be captive to fear. We no longer want to be captive to, to greed and to gossip and to manipulation and all these things, right? So I believe that's what God's doing right now. So, so here's, here's what I'm trying to say is God is so amazing because he's through prayer, through intercession, through the prophetic, he starts to stir the heart of the leader and then he starts to stir the hearts of the people. And that's what's happening now. That's why you feel the stirring in your heart that you feel right now. That's why there's a return to the Lord right now. That's why churches are, are, are starting to be packed out right now because there's a stirring in the hearts of people. They're like, we don't want to be in captivity anymore. Why? Because it's the pattern of life. It's the pattern of humanity. And people are saying, we don't want, we don't want captivity anymore. Our, our ministry across the island, that's, that's why we're working with so many people is because they're like, we don't want to be in captivity anymore. We don't want to live in sexual brokenness anymore. We want to be free in Jesus' name. God's stirring the hearts of the people. And this is so cool. That the neighbors, the Bible says that there would be, the, the, the wealth of the sinners is laid up for the righteous. Can I just, I just want to say this to encourage you. That the, the neighbors of the Jewish people gave them silver and gold, livestock supplies, and a voluntary offering to rebuild the temple. I don't know how God's going to do it, but can I just tell you that what he's about to do, I believe even for what he has for the collective church, which I think is massive, I think we're going to start I think this Chappas home is just one of many, many missions, things that we're going to do. I believe we're going to build homes all over the world. I believe we're going to rescue kids all over the world. I believe God has a building for us that's going to seat thousands of people. Why? Because our mission is not just to have a big church, but it's to reach people who are lost, hurting, and disconnected from God and, and bridge the gap through the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. And it's like, how is he going to do it? How is he going to fund this? So when the Jews were going, Cyrus said, hey, Jews, go home and build the temple. They had been in bondage and they didn't own anything. They didn't have things. So all the people around them said, here's our things. Here's gold and silver. And then on top of that, they gave a voluntary 
offering. Doesn't that remind you of the Exodus? In Exodus, they were heavy laden with gold. Because as, as they left. So there, there is something about people coming out of captivity where God says, listen, I'm going to pay the bill. And listen, I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's going to do it. So here's what I'm saying. Believe for it. Don't, don't go to a place of doubt and say, how's God going to do this? How's, how is righteousness going to come back to Oregon? Because what we see with our natural eyes, Pastor Heather nailed it. Wife Heather nailed it with that. If she, if she talked about, we, we're not seeing it. We're not, we don't know what it feels like. We don't... And, and that's, that's what, like, downtown Portland is right now. We're like, how, God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to bring people out of captivity? How are you going to do, how are we, how are we going to be a part of this? How much is this going to cost? And I just, I love how God is at work in freedom. He's stirring the hearts of leaders, even ungodly leaders. Stirring the hearts of people, and then he's paying for it. He's paying for us. There's, there's, a, there's a transfer of wealth. Isn't that good? Does anyone else receive that? Okay, cool. And check this out. This is so good. Then God stirred the hearts of the priests and Levites and the leaders. So it's like all about God. God's just stirring everybody. And their neighbors assisted them by giving them articles of silver, gold, supplies for the journey, livestock. They gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. Check this out. And, and this is someone's going to get up and dance after they hear this one. It says, King Cyrus himself brought out the articles that Nebuchadnezzar, because Nebuchadnezzar was the one 70 years previous who had come in and who had taken them captive. King Cyrus himself brought out the articles that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Lord's temple in Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his own gods. Cyrus directed I can't pronounce that name, the treasure of Persia, to count these items and present them to Sheshbazar, the leader of the exiles returning to Judah. This is the list of the items that were returned, and it goes on, 30 gold basins, 1,000 silver basins, silver incense burners, 1,000 other items, silver bowls, gold bowls. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver that Sheshbazar brought all of these along when the exiles went from Babylon to Jerusalem. Can I just tell you this? Somebody get excited. What was stolen, what was stolen, God returned. What was stolen, God returned. Listen, I, I don't know how God does it, but he always returns more than what was stolen. Always. When it seems impossible, he always returns more than what was stolen because that's the kind of God he is. I'm telling you, if you've had things stolen from you, if you've had a marriage stolen, if you've had kids stolen, if you've had I, I, finances stolen, I'm just telling you that, that God has more. God is, he's a, he's a God who, he doesn't just, like he brings things back to life that were dead. And by the way, restoration, like the word was to restore in God's economy doesn't mean back to how things were. It actually means back to original intent. Because sometimes we talk to couples and we're like, God wants to restore your marriage. And they're like, uh, that doesn't sound fun. It was never good. <laughs> like, restore it to what? No, no, no. Restoration in God's economy is to what in the intention, the original design and intention was. <clears throat> slap your neighbor. You don't even have to say anything. Just slap them. So good. 
can I can I make an observation too? I want to make an observation too. Is that he's he? It, it is for freedom that he set them free. There, there was a purpose in the freedom. Can I just tell you that the purpose in freedom is not just so that we can have really great services and see the power of God unleashed and released, and that we can just prophesy. Like there's like 500 core people of the collective church, and we can all just prophesy over each other. We can all pray for each other, and we can all just. I mean, it's so fun, so neat. No, the purpose of freedom is to set others free. The purpose of freedom is to set others free. And so Cyrus says, he said, go home. He said, you're free. Now I want you to build back. I want you to build the tabernacle. I want you to, 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 to rebuild the altar. So there was a purpose. It was to rebuild the temple. What does that mean? That means worship. It's talking of worship. To rebuild worship. So it's, there, there was a purpose in the freedom. Uh, number four, the fourth thing that I noticed is that it says, um, it gives a long list of all the people that came, came back with them. There was a lot, a lot, a lot of people. I think, I think in, the, in the initial, there was 42,360 people that returned to Judah. Um, then what happens, I, I love this. So the priest, uh, verse 70, of chapter 2, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the temple servants, and some of the common people settled in villages near Jerusalem. Listen to this. The rest of the people returned to their own towns throughout Israel. In early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. You know what, the, what I felt like the Lord speak to me when I, when I read that, that they returned to their own towns, is they took care of their family first. When they got freedom, they said, I'm going to bring freedom to my family. And they went back and they resettled in their, their, the former villages that they were, that their family was, was stripped from by Babylon. And I just thought about what we say at the collective all the time is that the collective will be built on the foundation of healthy families. That we are, that Christ has set me free to be the pastor of my own home. We're the pastors of our own home. And my first ministry, I, just, I love that they didn't all just go to Jerusalem and start building the temple. They, they went to their hometown and started building up their home first. And then once their home, they were settled, then they corporately came together to build the temple. I think there's something really powerful in that, by the way, that it's our first ministry. Like, if you have kids, you're a youth pastor. If you have kids, you're a children's pastor. Age students, you're, you're a college pastor. You just are, because that's your first ministry. My, my first ministry is not, is not to the masses. It's, it's not to the collective church. It's, it's to Ashton and Taylor and Macy, and it's to Heather, to serve them, to love them. And, and to disciple them means that I'm going to, um, we're going to walk in biblical principles in our home, and we're going to love each other. Amen? That's the first discipleship right there. People get really, really tripped up with discipleship classes. Like, when are we going to... And we're doing discipleship classes right now with Wake Up Dead on Thursday night. But ultimately, discipleship happens in the everyday. Paul, Paul said, hey, Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. Let's go do life together. Fo follow me as I follow Christ. The discipleship happens when your kids hear you talk on the phone. Discipleship happens when your kids hear what you say in the car. Discipleship happens on, on, on what... 
on your narration of, of media and movies in the home. Discipleship happens when, when your kids see you respond out in public and you totally blow it and you have to go back to them and say, that was not how I should have responded to that, by the way. And you ask forgiveness and you, you model it. We don't model perfection, by the way. If you think that's what being a good parent is, stop. I'm telling you, the, the, the strongest, <laughs> some of the strongest moments where I was like, my dad is bad to the bone was, when, was, was not when he was doing awesome things, when not was, was, he was traveling around the world preaching, was not when he was, you know, leading hundreds of kids to the Lord in, in Russia, when, as, you know, when communists first um, fell in the early 90s. Those were, were those moments awesome? Those were awesome. Some of the most bad to the bone moments of discipleship, though, where my dad getting on, on, on his knee and looking me in the eye and saying, hey, I talked to your mom really inappropriately earlier. I'm sorry. That's wrong. And, and, and then we pray together. That's bad to the bone. Because then, then kids aren't left going, I can't be perfect like mom and dad. Heather, what was the revelation you had? Oh, I just, what felt like, God, by the time I get my life together and become somebody who's refined, my kids will be grown and out of the house. How is that fair? You know, and I'm such a mess right now. And um, why, why is it that we have to grow with our kids in the house? Why aren't we better before? Right. And he just said, because you're not modeling perfection, you're modeling the process and they need to see you in a process so that they know that they're in a process. <laughs> Heather, Heather. Oh. So good. A couple more things really quick. Um, verse two, excuse me, verse one of chapter three. In early autumn when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. Everyone say unity. Where there's unity, God commands a blessing. You know the feeling even on a micro level in your home. Even, no, no, no. On a micro level with yourself, with your spouse, with your parents, with your family, with your church, with the people that you serve with, with your coworkers. I'll tell you, there is a, there is a commanded blessing where there's unity. Britt and Audrey were, were at Youth Revival um, a couple weeks ago, and and Britt was saying that one of the prerequisites for the manifest presence of God, because God's always with us. I mean, the Holy Spirit is indwelling us right now. You know, we have, as believers, we have the, the, the Holy Spirit that's, that's living in our lives, that's operating in us daily. But just that manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, where it's like, he's in the room. The king is in the room. And you feel it, and your goosebumps have goosebumps, and those goosebumps have goosebumps. And some of you are crying. I cry. When I, feel, when I feel the heavy glory of God, the heavy presence of God, I just bawl. Some people laugh. Some people are silent. Some people dance. It's like, just, it's, that's the beauty of the diversity of the body of Christ, right? It's that when the manifest presence, but Britt said, in order for the manif- that manifest presence of God, to happen in a gathering, he's like, there has to be unity. Because where there's unity, there's a commanded blessing. So 
coming out of captivity, coming out of bondage, and we want to start walking in blessing, and we want to start walking in the plans of God, and we want to start walking that way, what is it going to require? It's going to require unity. It's going to require dying to self. Come on, somebody. I wrote an amazing book called Wake Up Dead. And I'm just, sorry, Jenny. <laughs> Pastor Jenny wrote an amazing book called Wake Up Dead. And how many are going through that on Thursday nights? How many are just like blessed out of your socks right now? Yeah. That's, that's what that, that's dying to self. That's dying to opinion. For the sake of unity. Because why? Where there's unity, there's a commanded blessing. And I love, I love that there, he says it there because it's like it's before they started building. God brought them together with one purpose. And, and in Acts, it says, he, it says that they were all in one accord. And that word is homo legeo, one accord. And it means unity of identity, unity of purpose, and unity of passion. Unity of identity, unity of purpose, and unity of passion. Six. The sixth thing that I noticed was that the first thing that they rebuilt was the altar. Even though it says, and I'm not going to read the scripture, you can go back and read it, but they were actually afraid of the local residents that were there. They were actually afraid of them. But it says that they rebuilt it in its original site, in its old site. And then it goes on to say they sacrificed morning and evening. So the first thing they, they rebuilt was worship. The first thing that they rebuilt was praise. The first thing that they rebuilt was adoration. And it says that they were praying and they were, they were doing this morning and night. This is a, friends, this is a picture of intimacy with our Heavenly Father. This is a picture of intimacy with our Heavenly Father. This is a picture of prayer. This is a picture of the scriptures. This is a picture of union with God morning and night. We've got, a, we've got a challenge going on with a lot of the youth right now. One of the things is we're challenging them to not have their phones or any electronics in their room um, as they sleep at night, which I, I think is just a good, a good parenting. Um, it's, it's, just, it's wise. Let's just say it that way. It's wisdom. It's not, it's not a law, but it's wisdom. And we're saying, we're saying would, would you allow him to be first and most? The first thing that you look at in the morning and the last thing that you look at before bed. And I love that. I love that that's what they, they, they rebuilt. They rebuilt the altar. And they rebuilt it in its old site. I'm so thankful, friends, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There, there is something right now. Culture is trying to drag us so far in, in different directions that actually just going back to the root feels kind of scary sometimes. I'm like, why does it feel scary to, to post or to, or to talk about abortion right now? Why does that kind of feel scary? Because there's such a strong opinion. Why does it feel kind of scary? To, like, like last week, the, the, the message that Dusty gave would have landed him in prison if we lived in Australia. It would have been considered hate speech by just saying, hey, listen, friends, God made them man and woman. So what, the first thing that God had them do is he had them build the altar at its original site. Saying, no, 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 no. I, I haven't changed. We're, we're not changing with, we don't come out of captivity and go, well, you know, I'm, I'm still going to 
be a little bit addicted to X, Y, Z, but I'm mostly free. Now God's like, no, 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 no. We're gonna, we're gonna actually rebuild it back at, at, the, at the old site, which is God's original intent. And there's gonna be prayer. And there's gonna be intimacy morning and night. I might, I might have to finish these, these later, but there was great, number seven, you can read, there was great generosity. There was great generosity. It said the people gave voluntary offerings to the Lord. I think when God, what's coming is, is such incredible generosity, such incredible generosity. When God's calling us out of bondage into freedom, one of those, one of the, the places of obedience is will your, your, your wallet, will your pocketbook get into alignment with what God's doing with the heart of God? Enough said. Number eight, verse eight says this. The construction of the temple of God began in mid-spring during the second year after they arrived in Jerusalem. Check this out. The workforce was made up of everyone, everyone say everyone, who had returned from exile. And it goes on to say, including, 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 including. Everyone, everyone, the workforce was made up of everyone who had returned from exile. I, I really believe, you can stand with me this morning, I really believe that that's why God had us name this church the Collective Church. It's because everyone was going to be involved. Everyone was going to be involved. Everyone was going to be involved. Amen? Not the professional Christians. Not the pastor and, and his wife. And not, 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 but just, you know, Bob and Jenny, they'll take care of it. The core team, they'll take care of it. No, everyone, everyone was set free. And, and in response, everyone said, we're a part of this thing. We're in unity and we're a part of this thing. We're all, essentially, we're all pastors. We're all ministers. Like, I didn't go to seminary. It's all good. Because Jesus commissioned you. He said, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hopefully one of those things resonated with you. I, I, I just... I just... I have this sense that we're really close to something really major. I keep having this feeling that that um, that we're about to explode in the best of ways. Because I look around this room and there are so many people who've experienced great freedom. Great freedom. And now what's happening is you're impacting others. And this room can't hold all the people that you're impacting. And God's gonna stir the hearts. God's going to use people that we, I'm, tell, I'm just telling you, I prophesy. He's going to use political people. He's going to use people in charge. He's going to use business people that we would have said, how in the world did God use them? And we're going to have, I'm just telling you, as we move forward, here's what's, here's what's cool. Is, is, is they, do you know they had the option to leave? So those that left... They're like, I don't know what's going to happen. We're just going back somewhere. And they left. And what happened is as they made this step to leave, people started giving them things. People started giving them things. 
gold, silver, all the things that they needed for the travels. And so I, I just, I, I believe that as we move forward, God's stirring, God's guiding, God's paving the way, God's paying for it. And, I, I, and then I believe this, I believe that he's called us to our homes, first and foremost. And when our homes are strong, we're gonna build together. We're gonna build together in Jesus' name. We're gonna rebuild the altars. The altars of, and we, how many times have we talked about it in 2022? Prayer and Bible reading. Prayer and Bible reading. The air is getting thin. We've got to, we have to stay close to Jesus. We have to be intimate with Jesus. Intimate with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful for the new covenant, too. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I, I just look at this and I, I think, God, thank you for rescuing us from up and down living. Thank you for, for rescuing us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your son, that you so love the world, that you sent your only begotten son. As we place our faith in you, that you give us eternal life, eternal life in Christ Jesus. Lord, right now, we just believe, God, we pray for our leaders right now. Father, we pray for the President of the United States right now. Father, we pray for our, our Oregon government, our Oregon leadership. Father, we pray for, for every, every leader right now. Father, we pray that you'd stir their hearts right now in Jesus' name. Stir their hearts, God. I pray you'd use people, Father, that we have, we just, there's no way that we could even imagine. Father, I pray you stir their hearts right now. God, I pray that you would stir the hearts of your people right now. Stir the hearts of the collective church. Father, I thank you that you're removing people from captivity right now in Jesus' name. That, God, you're calling us to freedom. God, you're calling us to freedom. God, you're calling us to revival. Father, you're calling us for the, for the greatest outpouring that we've ever seen in our lives, Father. We thank you, God, that you're stirring it. You're stirring it. And, Father, I pray that we would be in unity. God, if there's, if there's any disunity, if there's any distrust, Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Father, I thank you for forgiveness. Help us to forgive. Help us to release from judgment. Father, I pray that we would be have unity of purpose, unity of passion, unity of vision. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you've called us to rebuild the altar. You've called us to, to, to rebuild in its original spot. Lord, I pray that that's what the collective church would be all about is rebuilding that place of worship. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just right where you're at, would you just lift your hands? Yeah. I just pray from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. A fresh touch right now in Jesus' name. A fresh wind would blow right now. second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. God, I thank you. You've called us to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of the 
hope and the peace that we have. Lord, I thank you that you set us free with great purpose. There's great purpose in our freedom and it's to see others set free. Think of one person right now. It might, might be two, it might be a couple, it might be a family. Would you just think of somebody right now that you know is currently in captivity? They're currently bound up. Would you just begin to pray for them right now in this atmosphere of faith? Just begin to pray for them right now in Jesus' name. That they'd be set free. That they'd be set free. It's a brother, it's a sister. It's a kid, it's a mom, it's a dad, it's a coworker. Just believe right now in Jesus' name for their salvation, for their rescue, for their release from captivity. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. that you're uprooting disappointment right now. I thank you, God, that you are uprooting bitterness right now and disappointment. Disappointment and regret from the things that maybe you didn't say or didn't do. But right now, God hears your prayers and he's answering your prayers the way that he wants to do it. And so we let go of every expectation and every amount of disappointment right now. And just by the power of the Holy Spirit, I thank you, God, that you're just reaching down deep into our hearts and you're uprooting disappointment. You have not missed the appointment with your God. You haven't missed it. I demolish every lie right now of disappointment and missing it in Jesus' name. And some of you need to hear this. There was nothing that you could have done. You couldn't, you couldn't have fixed it. So I want you just to let that go. Just right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, just let that go. You couldn't have fixed it. There's nothing you could have done. Just take a breath and let it go. Just breathe that out. Breathe that disappointment out. It might only be one of you in here. But if that's you, I want you just to just feel the Holy Spirit's touch right now. Just deep, deep inside of you. And this is actually what you've been praying for. It's been your own freedom. Freedom from disappointment. In Jesus' name. I thank you, God, for doing that. Amen. If you need help for that, come up. Come up if you need help for that later or when we're done here. Okay. And I, I just sense one more, one more thing and then we're going to pray and we're going to close. If 
you're, if you're currently in captivity right now and you just say like, I can't seem to kick this. I can't seem to kick this thing. It's, I keep going around the mountain, around Mount Sinai over and over again. There's a surrender this morning. There's a surrender this morning. What I, what I heard is what we say at the collective church is that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, but it's connection. So you're to lean in in this next season. You're to lean into to relationship. You're, you're to lean into fellowship. You're to lean in. You're to lean in and to let the light in. God's going to release you from captivity into freedom. Into freedom in Jesus' name. And it's for you. You hear the song, you never lost the battle. And you're like, man, I feel like I've lost a lot of battles. But I just, what I heard was, what I heard was, was he's going to have the final word. (laughs) God's going to have the final word. God has the final say. He's got the final say. So he's releasing you right now in Jesus' name. And I believe as you partner with what he's doing right now, as you begin to partner with the Holy Spirit and partner in unity with other people, you're going to start walking in freedom. In the name of Jesus, I bless you. We bless you. We love you. Thanks for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. To find out more, visit thecollectivechurch.com.